Hi, this is Alexis from Stemp Kitchen, and you're listening to the AT Banter Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I love that. I love the banter, banter is back. Uh, hey, <laughs> this is, of course... The podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Banter Banter himself, the voice of the podcast, Mr. Steve Barkley. Why, howdy. And also in here somewhere, we've got Miss Liz Malone. Greetings, friends. And bringing up the rear just for today, because he's been here all the time and he's always gotten top billing, Mr. Ryan Flurry. And salutations to everyone. Wow, everyone's so well behaved today. <laughs> you think you think we haven't been uh, together like this for a while? I, I, I wouldn't worry too much. It can't last. Although I do have to ensure uh, the audience that this is indeed Steve. We didn't actually pull the trigger and uh, create an AI synthetic voice that sounds like him yet. We're working on it. We're working, we're working <laughs> on it, though. <laughs> he is actually here in the flesh, the voice Virtually. Thing. Get it? He, virtually. Yeah. I exist in reality. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how the heck, uh, how the heck is everybody? Tired. <laughs> but, uh, you, uh, you've been busy. So, hey, speaking of that, I've been sort of talking to the audience a little bit about that. You might have some, uh, some announcements coming up in terms of, uh, what's going on with, with Canas Tech. Uh, are you ready to, to make any sort of announcement yet or no? I, I, uh, I think that, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ready to, uh, make a little, uh, sneak preview. Okay, well, I don't even, without any further ado, um, I'm going to pass things over to Mr. Steve Barkley, who has a, a bit of a special announcement. Well, after seven years of operation as a home-based business, Canadian Assistive Technologies is moving out of the house, much to my wife's glee. <laughs> uh, and we have secured a space in uh, Vancouver on 8th Avenue, uh, which we are currently setting up uh, to be uh our uh, our showroom uh with a primary focus on low vision and blindness technologies uh but uh, we will also have a a smattering of other things there as well from communication aids and physical access technologies um so we're just in the process of putting that location together uh literally putting it together we're, we're taking things like desks and assembling them and tables and assembling them and waiting for more things to come in so that we can assemble them uh, we, we've discovered the uh, limitations of Amazon. Uh, uh, what is what do they call them? Amazon basic products. Like mm -hmm. don't, oh. don't don't buy their coffee pod. It's terrible. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So uh, it's we should. Uh, I'm hoping have a open functioning office within a couple of weeks' time. Oh, that's that's super exciting. That yeah. Super. So you're oh. gonna do anything for like a grand opening? 
my my plan is to invite various different uh groups at different times because there's a there's you know there's a whole set of customers who are involved in say rehab for example there's a whole set of customers who are involved in education there's a whole set of customers who are involved in uh, you know um other other areas so uh i i think you know there's only so much space and and only so many people you can talk to at once so i think i'll probably stage it out and just have different groups invited on different days very cool and hey who knows maybe we'll maybe we'll set up a little studio in there and uh it'll be the new the new the new guitar dungeon there is actually a room that i am devoting to video production and uh podcasting Woo! that is exciting yeah. Well, there, you, there you go. Who knows? Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. It's terrifying. I'm paying rent. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't drink the coffee. Well, the, the coffee turned out okay, but it, it, it's 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 stupid. It's really stupid. So this coffee maker came, and we ran our first run of coffee through it, and I noticed that no coffee was dripping out of it, and I thought, you know how sometimes with those drip things, you don't quite situate the pot properly, and it doesn't it hit a little yeah. flap at the top, and the coffee doesn't drip through? Well, in this case, there was about a three millimeter gap between the pot and the little flappy thing that lets the coffee drain through. Mm. And it's just the, the pot is literally too short. Bad design. Yeah, terrible. Man, I'm surprised. I'm shocked. Yeah, shocked it's, that it, Amazon has dropped the ball like that. It's 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 pretty weird. Like how <laughs> Oh, somebody probably bought it because they wanted the coffee pot and they switched out on or something like that. There's always weird they're always just repackaging their returns. So Yeah. You mean just gotten a little goose egg right there. Oh, the, the other one we had, the first kettle that we got, uh, you know, was one of those ones that has a little base. Kettle came, no base. Well, what? <laughs> So, well, yes. So there are returns. I'm. I've never yes. returned anything to Amazon before, but I am now. Oh, oh really? Great. You're yeah. just in time for their new restocking fee and everything what? else. That, yeah, yeah. Amazon is. They're saying goodbye to totally free returns. It's oh. sort of you know free returns with a big fat asterisk. Oh, I didn't get that memo yet. Yeah. yeah me either. Yeah. Yeah. There was an email that went out. Hmm. Read the folks. <laughs> yeah, that sucked. Well, I think that's enough preamble. Uh, but that's very exciting, Steve. Congratulations, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking uh, a lot more about that on the show. And uh, yeah, when you're ready for for the big grand opening, we'll uh, make sure that well, we we talk some more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in any case, hey Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks at home uh, just what the heck we are up to today? Well, we've been talking to Steve about his new office space and <laughs> the lack of food places around there. Probably a Jamba Juice or something. There's suck. lots of food places around. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the show, we're actually talking with Ian Price from Technology for Living. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad you could make it after we had to reschedule there. Yes. Yeah, thank you for fitting uh, me in your business schedule here. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Yeah, that's right. We had a very busy week last week talking all about uh, the Holland Oats lawsuit. So <laughs> that's um, right. <laughs> that nobody knows why is happening. Very big. So actually, there we've managed. I'm not even going to. Oh, is there an there. update? 
There is an update, but no, I can't remember anything. I, I think I need to hear this update because you know my my weird fascination with why the why Toronto know. that stupid song. So I know, I know. Okay, I we'll get that. There has, there has, at some point, I need an update. Okay, so go okay. ahead. All right, so fine. Uh, in any case, <laughs> thank you again for coming uh, on the show and chatting with us. Um, maybe let's just start off, uh, maybe just giving the audience a, a little bit of background, uh, about yourself and, uh, about your association with, uh, technology for living. Uh, sure. So I, yeah, I live in Kelowna, yeah, British Columbia, Canada, yeah, and I am physically disabled. I have spinal atrophy type here, um, which means I, I use a power wheelchair and I'm ventilator dependent and I have a very limited movement uh, on my thumbs. And so uh, I rely on a lot of technology and, uh, and technology for living. I've been a member uh, for a number of years and I'm also the peer team lead and innovation strategist. Uh, we are a, a nonprofit organization based in British Columbia, Canada, and we provide assistive technology to people in British Columbia. Uh, how did you become involved with them? Well, funny enough, I, yeah, well, I as a member, I, uh, I, you know, one day I stopped breathing and uh, needed oh. a ventilator. And so I, yeah, I was connected with them through uh, Children's Hospital at the time, and, and they um, they were able to yeah, assist me once I became an adult, and uh, it's been an happily ever after. So can you speak a little bit about, a little bit more about um, what kind of things go on, uh, go on there? Like, it, it, are you guys, are you guys a bit of a retailer? Are, is it, is it R&D or do you, are you developing um, new devices or custom made devices? What sort of branch of assistive technology um, are you guys mainly steeped in? Good question. Okay, so we have three different programs. Uh, one of which is PROC, the Provincial Respiratory Outreach Program, um, where we supply that respiratory um, and airway management devices uh, to people throughout the province, um, adults in BC. And so with PROC, uh, we are learning um, learning equipment to people to live independently at home. And it, if the ventilator isn't a good fit after a couple of years, there, there's something uh, better and more suited to that person, then we ask that they return the equipment to us and then we will supply them with, uh, with something else. Uh, we also do all of the, the servicing um, and whatnot. Uh, we we have a team of uh, respiratory therapists that will also uh, do uh, assessments to make sure that the equipment is working properly and uh, and that they have the supplies that they need. Um, similarly, TIL Technology for Independent Living is a another program where. Yeah, we supply assistive devices on more environmental control systems, such as smart home devices. And same idea, um, we have technicians and biomeds that travel throughout the province and uh, we'll do uh, an assessment and see what type of uh, smart home tech 
would be uh, best suited. And then uh, we either uh, send them a care package that are uh, all the devices, and then we'll help them set it up remotely in their home. Yeah. Or we have technicians environments that will travel to that member's house and set everything up for them and, and show them how to use it. So it, it really depends on their comfort level. Um, so that's, there's a rumor that the off the shelf devices are similar to what you would find, uh, at Amazon, for example. Um, but, uh, we also do some, uh, some R and D in the office, uh, creating some uh, customized solutions that uh, are, we have 3d printers uh, and a team that are, are quite, uh, quite skilled in making like custom cup holders and mounts and, and you name it. And then uh, our, our third program is our peer program. And we uh, um, provide support at more one-on-one, uh, helping people that, uh, you know, maybe they're new that to being on a ventilator or they have questions about, uh, smartphone devices and they, that they really want to talk to somebody that has that lived experience. I think that that that's a, a really interesting branch uh, of, of what you guys do, and I think it's really vital because a lot of times um, with assistive technology, it can be really complicated, especially for somebody who is, say, new to the sort of the disability community. Uh, it can be really daunting uh, to not only like figure out what's out there that's going to be a good solution for them because everybody's different and every piece of assistive technology you know may work for one person but not for another. So, um, you know, having some sort of a, of, of a peer program where you can sort of network and, and, and uh, engage with each other and, and try to share these lived experiences, I think is, is a really important component and one that a lot of assistive technology um, organizations might overlook. Yeah, I, I agree. Like it, um, especially when uh, we have somebody new to our program um, or to the organization that it, that doesn't fully understand or appreciate that, that everything that we do is at no cost. Like the uh, the equipment that we're providing, uh, the the technicians, the peers, everything is free, and and so we, um, I I find that people sometimes are a little bit apprehensive because they, they don't really know what they need. Like when, uh, when I show people uh, tours of my house, which is kind of like the lab where uh, I'm fortunate enough to test all of our, our new smart tech, then um, I'll give demos and say, hey, this is how I use it on a daily basis. And it, you can tell that they're, it, their brains start spinning they're, they're thinking about how how they could use this sort of tech in, in their house. And that's really when uh, when a conversation begins, where people start asking questions of, well, I have a problem that uh, I'm, I'm in bed uh, most of the time, and uh, I would really like to be able to control my TV uh, um, simply by voice. And, and that's where we're here to help. So, and I'm really curious to, to talk a little bit about things like environmental controls and the smart home component. You know, here on the podcast, we've been talking about it, about, you know, the idea of the smart home and, 
and smart devices for a while now. And it seems intuitively just kind of looking at it from the outside that things have gotten a lot better over the, say, the past, say, 10 years with the sort of the, the mainstream entrance of smart devices. Are th have things really gotten better in that space in terms of, um, you know, the, the sort of the flood of, of smart devices and stuff, you know, compared to, say, 10, 20 years ago with, with environmental controls? Okay, well, I, I do person. I think that it, it with yeah, smart home tech being much more mainstream, it has greatly improved the, the functionality and, and the the options. There are so many more devices now that are available. They're a lot easier to use. They're a lot easier to set up. Uh, um, the like embrace control has improved drastically uh, um, so overall there are a lot of pluses and and also the the price point like even though the the devices we provide are at no cost to our members it it just for us as a organization it's a heck of a lot cheaper to buy um things in bulk or, or even just off of amazon uh, then 10 years ago, when you would be spending about hundreds of dollars for something that now maybe costs 10 or 20. So these are all really good things. Um, that said, there, there are a lot of smart companies, uh, that are that new, like Slash in the Pan, that are creating products that, um, don't last. And, and or they're not reliable, and, and that can be really frustrating for people because they see something online like a, a smart plug or a light bulb, and they think, well, this one is half the price, so I'm going to buy it. A no-name brand, and then uh, not only are there some potential security risks, but also just reliability. Like if the company were to go bankrupt next year then uh, there's a good chance that all of the devices that you bought from that manufacturer are, are not going not gonna to look anymore. So we, when you're sort of talking to, to clients and, and stuff and, and sort of advising them, it, do you sort of have like a certain, you know, a manufacturer list or do you, do you sort of suggest that they stay within, you know, a certain price point for particular products and not cheap out and you know, run into some of these risks or what do you, what do you kind of tell the clients? Definitely. Like there, it, there are certain brands that, that we use that we've tested uh, for a number of years and they, they keep improving. Um, so we, we like to stick to those, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just recommend people be cautious. It, if there's a, a new brand that they've never heard of that are, are uh, promising uh, all of these wonderful features uh, down the road, and uh, um, those those features aren't currently available. Then I I like to steer away from that for sure. I understand now you also uh, are a founder of uh, your own company. You're a little bit of an entrepreneur. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Thanks. Yeah, our well, in February 2011, I started I Can Resource Group, 
uh, which is a multifaceted corporation. Uh, we do uh, assistive technology uh, development and consulting. We also have a, a team of designers, uh, multimedia design, whether it's uh, websites, learners, uh, social media marketing, etc. And then in the last few years, we also started our third division where we do accessible travel consulting. And this is something that I'm extremely passionate about and uh, and I'd love to share uh, my stories and, and other people's stories about how it can be, you know, a little bit challenging at times it, to travel with a disability, but it's certainly durable and it's a lot of fun. Okay, well, that's interesting that you say that because we and we will definitely come come back to that topic because uh, I do want to I want to pick your brain about some things because we've actually been talking a lot uh, lately um, about travel specifically. So, um, but tell me a little bit more about the company. So then, so how how old is it? When did you start it? And what sort of prompted you to uh, to start it up? Uh, February two thousand eleven. I started I can. And, uh, you know, at the time, yeah, I, I was unsure what I wanted to do with myself, right? Yeah, I was, uh, like just out of school and, and, uh, I, I knew that it would be challenging for me to, yeah, to work a nine to five job. And so, um, I thought, why not start up my own company? And, um, and then at that time, uh, I met some other like-minded individuals that, that, that were in a similar situation. And so we, we joined together and uh, I brought them on as consultants. And um, it, yeah, it's been a really rewarding experience for sure. So it sounds like you're sort of in the digital space but you're, and you're also sort of in, in the specifically the assistive technology space um, and the travel space. But talk to me a little bit about again about the assistive technology piece of that. Is this is this you're again you're you're dealing with sort of custom custom builds or custom technology, or is it is it more of just a, a again it's a consulting and lately it's been primarily consulting. But in the early early years, we did design a, a prototype for a uh, a suction machine retractable straw. And it's something that actually I'm still using uh, on my wheelchair to date. Uh, um, we we were hoping to to bring it to market. Uh, it found out that there's a a lot of red tape when trying to release a uh, a medical device. So I decided to make it a open source project, and uh, and now the plans are are free for anybody to to use or to, um, to build offer. And, uh, I'm pretty proud to say that the, the plans have been sent all over the world. And, and I've got pictures from different countries of, of people working on similar devices now. I love that, that part of, of assistive technology, the sort of the, you know, hackathon type of, um, things that happen where you just get sort of you know, you know, our custom builds going. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, uh, you know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, we, we heard things like people like making, you know, Frankenstein versions of say, um, console controllers, 
um, and, and making them, them them accessible. And you know, you fast forward to you know five years ago, and Microsoft um, comes out with uh, you know an official um, adaptive adaptive controller, and you know PlayStation, for example, is is doing uh, much the same. You know, you can really see those home solutions. Uh, you know, this assistive technology built in somebody's garage, you can actually see tangible results uh, down the road. Yeah, and, and it's it's really exciting as well to, to see groups like uh, Makers Making Change. Uh, yeah. Unless you're familiar with them, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're wonderful. And, and they, that same idea, a bunch of like-minded individuals that are uh, collaborating and building uh, customized solutions and um yeah also the tetra society is another uh great organization that does uh very similar things yeah question for you on that have you guys gotten into the 3d printing world the way that some of these other guys have have done uh technology for living we have for sure yeah um i it, there's a there's a couple of people uh, on the team who are very very skilled, um, and uh, it, it's incredible the things that that we can come up with. Not not only finished products, but but also just for um, for linking prototypes. It's so much easier than having the to cast or or mill. Um, you can come up with different variations uh, day after day and really uh, fine-tune the device. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable what you can do now with a with a 3D printer. I've, I've thought a lot about about getting one, but then I then I realized that I'd just have Rob in my office printing Star Wars figures the entire time. <laughs> yes. Well, well that, that does happen. I'm pretty sure that the first thing I printed was a fidget spinner and <laughs> come on steve come on <laughs> get it i'll just come once a week we don't need uh, that many boba fets <laughs> <laughs> well and, well talk to me a little bit about that then extending off of that like because because you know has it become more affordable do you, th- do you think it's really going to get to a point where it is going to be a bit ubiquitous I think that company, robot companies, sorry, there are websites like uh, like Thingiverse and many others where you can just go in there and, and download uh, the printer files that, uh, that are free uh, that other creators have made and, and print devices uh, in your home. So I think in the, in the future, it's going to be pretty common for people to, to have 3D printers available. Like they, they break apart on their, their wheelchair, for example, and you just print another one. Oh, man. See, I didn't need any more life distractions for in the future. Now I'm going to have <laughs> VR and 3D printing. I'm never going to leave my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is great. And I, especially for somebody like me, like everything on my wheelchair is customized. My my driving control system, my positioning, uh, absolutely everything. And and for people to be able to create and fine tune, like uh, I don't know, a, a, a unique uh, knob for their joystick, something that fits their hand better, or um, part of a, a headrest or 
or, or you name it. Like these are yeah, these are all things that that are so tangible now that whereas twenty years ago that yeah, I would have to outsource it to some yeah, other company, and and now I can simply do it in my house. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So the, really, the age of where you, you, we can really sort of customize things um, to sort of a level that we've never been able to before. It, in terms of assistive technology, I mean, th that's that's pretty major, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because it does mean that you can really build a custom solution that works, you know, the best for your particular disability or range of mobility or whatever, more than you ever could before. Yeah, yeah, I have a friend in the States that uh, he was losing at hand function and knew that uh, he still wanted to be able to operate the computer and, and uh, his wheelchair, obviously. And, and so he created a, a custom uh, mount that attaches to his chest and he's able to place a, a joystick into this mount and uh, and now he can control everything uh, with a change risk. Um, and as his condition progresses, it, he can make minor adjustments to, to his creation to um, to keep him mobile. And you know, it can't be understated just how important that's that's got to be for somebody because it it, it makes. It, you know, it kind of puts you back a little bit in control where it's like, well, I can, you know, I can adjust, I can, you know, you're not relying on, well, you know, this is going to suck if, if my condition changes and I need something that, uh, you know, a company isn't going to be able to provide me and I'm just going to have to try to work with the old system. Uh, now you can just, yeah, you, you can just sort of rejigger and redesign as you need to. And it's not just one person. Again, it's an entire maker community that is uh, working together. So if somebody has a file that they want to, to share with the world, they're able to, it, you can see it, modify it, and then print a, a version that, that's best suited for yourself. Uh, again, all within a matter of 24 hours. That is amazing. Well, listen, all we got to do is wait for those, wait for the damn printers to come down and price a little bit more. <laughs> yes. I, I actually, I was curious when we were talking about that. So I Googled it. They have come down. I can't believe how much they've come. Oh, yeah? Down. Yeah. They're, you can get a 3D printer for like under 300 bucks now. What? Yeah. Wow. Okay, Steve, you got to get one. <laughs> I, again, we don't need that many Boba Fets. You can the you can make your perfect coffee maker. That's right. I can design and build my own coffee maker. Why do you hear that, actually? Hang on. Which, is any of this printer filament BPA-free? <laughs> now, what about, what about those food printers? What does it make the print products? Is that a real? Yeah, it, it is. Um, I, I've seen... Uh, uh, meat they, they 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 are making meat by printing it yeah i still i want to hear from somebody who's actually consumed 3d printed food <laughs> I, I don't know any i haven't really received a first-hand account of what that's like yeah that would be interesting i i would love to try it if anybody out there has a, a 3d printer then please contact me thank good 
I volunteer you to be our taste tester and report back. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so again, because I can't help myself and I Google, uh, there's a, there's a site called inked edible ink edibles.com, which has a variety of food printers, uh, that you can get, uh, about the cheapest one I'm seeing there is about 2,200 bucks. And it prints cookies, cakes, macarons, <laughs> and more, apparently. Oh, man. Ryan. Wow. Ryan, Ryan, we're in trouble <laughs> if they ever make a Dorito printer. <laughs> I just want bacon. What? Yes. Print me some bacon that's not plant-based. <laughs> that's called bacon, and you don't have to print it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, we'll have, uh, to, we'll have to dig down into that. Okay. Changing topics once again, because I'm fascinated to talk about a little bit about this, but talk to us a little bit about travel. Um, when did you first start traveling? When did you first get bit by the, the travel bug? And tell us a little bit about your experience. Now, my first uh, big travel experience was in 2005, uh, going to Amsterdam. My, my buddy and I had run it to go there for many years and uh we uh, we made it happen and it, and uh, i'll be honest it was uh an absolute disaster inside uh, <laughs> some yeah. aspects uh my ventilator burnt down my oh, steam burnt down i was that having issues with my uh, my battery charger for my wheelchair yeah it was a learning experience i i always tell people I've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. <laughs> but uh, it, you know what? It was it it was great. But like, other than having to end up in the hospital for one night just because, like, I uh, my ventilator malfunctioned, and and even just trying to find the hospital, like in a panic state, I ended uh. up at a food bank by accident because <laughs> they both have yeah crosses outside their building. Um, I, hey, you know what, like in, in all seriousness, there's, there's a lot of preparation, a lot of logistics involved in, in traveling. Uh, like I have a, a 400 pound wheelchair and, uh, and frankly, airlines have a, a poor record um, of uh, keeping wheelchairs safe. And so um, I have a, a wooden shipping container that we put my wheelchair into, and then they forklift it onto the aircraft. And uh, knock on wood, I, I haven't had too many problems. So it's things like that that are a little bit of a, I mean, interference, but they're worth it in the end. So is is that the type of, of thing, because you, you mentioned logistics and sort of the, the planning part of it, and I'm assuming that that's kind of what you deal with in the travel portion of, of uh, ICANN. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. Like sharing lived experience, not just myself, but other, yeah, other people that are passionate about traveling. We, we love to share our stories, and, uh, and we love to share our contacts as well like there there are many people at uh at the airlines um that i'm i've created a, a great relationship with over the years and uh and they're 
they're happy to help as well. Like uh, I think that there's so many people globally that want to see people with disabilities travel, and uh, and part of what I do is just uh, helping people, um, you know, feel more comfortable about what to expect. Because there are burning questions of, well, what do I do if I need to use the washroom on an airplane? Or what happens if, if my chair breaks down? Uh, or more recently, yeah, what happens when my wheelchair yeah, charger explodes uh, on the, the first night in London? Well, oh. these are things that happen. <laughs> and you just have to be, that you have to be your flexible and, uh, and be able to adapt and, uh, and then enjoy yourself. Yeah, I, I just, I'm, I wonder, thinking about this, is that about how many people probably don't travel only because they're intimidated by the idea or they don't have the answers to these questions. And a lot of times you just go to, you know, a, a ticket agent or even a travel agent who isn't well-versed in, in, um, in any of this, they're not going to have those answers. And so for a lot of people, I'm sure in the past, they just kind of throw up their hands and they just decide that you know, traveling isn't going to be for them. It is true. Like uh, a couple of years ago, I, um, I I did a trip to Southeast Asia and um, I was in Japan, Thailand, and Cambodia. And that was one of the most challenging trips uh, to plan simply because of lack of uh, like resources and education and also uh, misinformation. Uh, there is a, uh, a very popular uh, travel agency. I'm not going to name any names here, but they uh, they connected me with their quote unquote expert on accessible travel in Tokyo, and um, uh, they flat out said, "Do not go. It is not accessible. You're going to have a horrible time." And that was simply untrue. Like I found that they're that public transit system, it is some of the most uh, inclusive environments that I've ever seen. And, and so it was uh, a great opportunity to document it and then share it with this travel agency and say, hey, like, I don't know what, uh, what work you're reading this from, but things are changed. And uh, and it's, it's really, really fascinating. So is there a, a sort of a, a community that's being built around this idea of travel? Because it seems to me some of the solution around this disinformation or this lack of information completely is just going to be people who, like you said, like, like you, going out and actually doing the travel, documenting it, making note of it, and then sharing that with other people. Is that kind of what's going on within sort of a, a, the travel community? Yes, and I think that um, a resource that I use quite often now is our like Facebook groups because there are so many different groups on accessible travel, and uh, and again, people love sharing their travel stories. So like, I'll yeah, I'll put a post saying, "Hey, I'm off to Cambodia uh, in six months, and uh, I would love to find uh, some accessible." hotels and and transportation 
And uh, and then from a, a friend of a friend of a friend, somebody will contact me and give me um, give me all the answers I'm looking for. That's that's usually how I how I do it nowadays. So, as a frequent traveler, then sort of what what's sort of the bee in your bonnet in terms of like what needs to happen to make that process more of a, a tangible process where you know, travel agents um, actually have useful information for people who are, say, you know, wanting to travel. Well, I, I think it, reliable information uh, and, and up-to-date information is always important. I would love to see that some general website um, and, and, you know, certain countries uh, are great. Like, you, you can go onto their website, and they will have uh, accessibility resources that don't write in. Um, the uh, towns, uh, there's a lot of towns all over the world that I've found that are doing that as well. So uh, I, I think it's important for for governments and, and community members to really uh, focus on this because it is an important issue it, and, and not just... Um, not just uh, telling me that, that there were five tourist attractions in town, but actually documenting pictures of sidewalks and right. ramps, uh, like curb cuts. There are, yeah, I, I've been surprised where yeah, certain countries that go to um, curb cuts, like uh, a ramp onto a sidewalk, uh, still isn't a thing. And um, and so I think it's important for for those types of things to really be well documented. Well, and a lot of times I'm sure is that the the information is probably so much more valuable when it's when it's crowdsourced when it's actually you know users, um, you know people who are traveling, um, giving the information as opposed to you know some canned. Uh, accessibility text that uh, a city or a country, you know, might spit out there, you know, thinking that, oh, this is going to solve everybody's problems, but they don't think of, you know, where are the accessible bathrooms? Where are, you know, the curb cuts? What's, what part of the city is, is going to be more friendly um, to wheelchairs than others? Those types of things I, I feel like would, would be much more valuable coming from some actual travelers than, you know, any sort of uh, any other accessibility report that might get put out. Yeah, and and also something to keep in mind is that uh, like the term accessible is pretty vague, or it's a pretty broad term depending on where you are in the world. Uh, like um, I uh, earlier this year, I was in Mexico and uh, I saw a. Um, a bus, like a, a short bus, like a compact bus that was uh, ripping around town and it had a giant wheelchair symbol on the back of it. And I thought, perfect, we're in a small town. Uh, none of the other uh, buses or taxis were accessible. It, this is it. I found, it. I found my way to get from A to B and I chased this bus for probably three blocks but, and then finally, when I brought up to it, I realized that yes, it had a realtor symbol on the back, but it wasn't intended for people in wheelchairs or in power wheelchairs specifically. 
it was for the elderly. And so the idea was that you it, you um, hand them your crutches or your cane, it, and they help you up it, two or three stairs that, onto the bus. And I was horribly disappointed. Yeah, but um, that's it. That's not just in Mexico. But even when I was in uh, it, in Amsterdam, some of their it, their trams again have a giant wheelchair symbol on the side. But then going back to it, notice that there's a a gap that you have to step over it to to hop onto the tram. So they're they're not wheelchair friendly, even though they have a wheelchair planted on the side of it. Being an avid traveler and being a power wheelchair user, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, stories in the press lately um, around a few airlines. We won't name any names or Canada. Oops. Um, but, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, stories around issues with travelers uh, with disabilities. What's sort of your take on that? Is it, is it, a, are you sort of happy that? these incidents seem to be getting more press and it's becoming a little bit more prevalent so that we can maybe see some some change. What's kind of your experience been in terms of, of airlines and travel? Well, I'm, I'm really happy that people are starting to share their stories, good and bad. I, I think it's really important for uh, everyone to hear and see uh, some of the horror stories. Uh, I know um, I've had my my fair share of scares where um, I'm sitting there uh, watching them uh, push my chair or, or, or my crate around uh, um, and not handling it with care. Right. And um, I've also had it where I... I arrive at my destination and they have no idea where, uh, where the wheelchair is uh, or even what I'm talking about. And, and we're talking about a, about a 500 pound yeah, giant orange uh, wooden box <laughs> that has wheelchair symbols all over it. And they have no idea what I'm talking about. So, yeah, it, it's terrifying because, like, if you arrive, at the destination and your wheelchair isn't there or it's damaged, then yeah, that's a part of you. Like I, uh, right. I, my, my chair is so customized to, to me that there is no other wheelchair in the world that I could just hop into and continue on my journey. Yeah, that's just not possible. Like we always jerk that Plan B is to uh, buy a wheelbarrow and throw me in it because <laughs> that's the best solution at, at the time. I, uh, luckily, I haven't had to do that yet, but that's kind of really close. Wow. Yeah, we've heard shocking stories uh, in the past month, right? Like we've had the fellow in Las Vegas that had to drag himself off the plane or they made him drag himself off the plane or, you know, losing Stephanie Cadeau's uh, wheelchair, you know, on a, on a, you know, it wasn't even international. It was like, a, you know, it was between Toronto and Vancouver. So we do get to see them dropping the ball when these stories pop up in the media. But, you know, we took a look at the stats uh, a few weeks ago and, and they were pretty shocking because I think it's, it had said that, you know, this year, uh, there were 224 complaints 
Um, and that's that's just complaints. That's not necessarily incidents. That's people who, you know, went to the time and the effort to actually file a complaint because of something that had happened. So you you know you have to double or triple that number um, of, of probable incidents uh, that happen every year, and that's way too many. It it's true, yeah. And and you're absolutely right that a lot of people don't file a complaint. Um, I think. After a long trip, you're physically exhausted, you're mentally exhausted. You just want to go home. It, you right. just want to get out of there. Now, the last thing you want to do is to sit around any longer and and have to speak to yet another person <laughs> yeah, in a right. reflective mess and, and tell them <laughs> what the what they did wrong. And so it's uh, it's really unfortunate. But with all of this, um, like publicity, like people, like this exposure, I I think it will help airlines learn that this is serious and that there need to be changes made um, to not only make it easier for the airlines, but also for the travelers. Well, hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to see some of that change. I know that the conversations are being had, which I feel like is an improvement over even two, three years ago. Like, I, I think that, that people need to realize that, that uh, there's, there's some real big problems in terms of transportation, which is federally regulated, which means they all fall under the Accessible Canada Act, which means, you know, there, there should be some, some pretty steep penalties for these guys. Yeah, yeah, there should be, and and I I think the the general public sometimes just doesn't see it and and can't fully appreciate how scary it, it can be when they just leave you on an airplane and the rest of the airplane is empty, and then the the, the crew come in and they start vacuuming around you, and nobody's speaking to you, and and uh, you don't you don't know what's about to happen. And then in the worst case scenario, you finally get to your wheelchair, and it's in two pieces. Now what? I I had a I did a trip to to Vegas years ago, where they couldn't find my chair, and then they told me that um, in Vancouver, where I spread out, that they they didn't put a a sticker on the box to clear class dollars. So they were going to have to send my wheelchair back to Vancouver, have it clear class dollars, and, and then they would send it uh, to Vegas in a couple days. Uh, um, and uh, and they left me laying on a baggage cart for probably four hours. It, and then finally my chair showed up and they had completely dismantled it. And they oh they left it. They brought it they brought it in on a on a, a dolly and it was in pieces. And they said, Okay, you're free to go. And they turned around and they left. And then luckily my my caregiver, um, we had a a tool shape in my suitcase. And, and we were able to put the chair back together and at like eleven at night, right in the middle of like 
there was there, nobody around the help. It, no compassion whatsoever. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. Oh, that is so infuriating. But see, now, just out of curiosity, now, did you lodge a complaint for that? Or did, you know, again, you just, you wanted to get home, get wherever you're going, and you didn't want to bother? No, honestly, I was young and dumb, and I was just in there to, to party, and so all I wanted to do was get out of that airport and uh, head to the casinos. So, right. no, I didn't file a complaint, but I, I really should have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the message to the audience. You know, we, we people need to start actually getting loud and, and, uh, cause, cause enough of this, this is nonsense. Yeah. Wow. And sometimes, sometimes we get good stories out of it too. I mean, uh, look at, uh, Donovan Tilsley, a blind guy got, uh, refused boarding on a ship because he couldn't possibly travel on his own. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and now, and now he's, uh, boating around Working the world on Richard Branson's dime. So. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's a happy ending. Well, yeah. we just talked to, we talked to, uh, somebody a few weeks ago that was that where, you know, it, there's this new ferry service between Nanaimo and, and Vancouver called Hello Ferries. And uh, they just flat out said, "Yeah, I know we don't we don't allow power wheelchairs uh, on the ferry." Hello, that's it. <laughs> so you know, and she took them to task. She got some media coverage, and of course, they, the you know, they they've they're rethinking that policy. So it's it's amazing the things that that are still happening. Uh, just the you know the the sheer arrogance of some of these things. Well, I'm excited for the day when I can drive my chair onto the airplane, tie it down just like it, yeah, any no. other form of uh, public transportation and, and not need to leave my wheelchair. Yeah. And, and we are we are farce. It, it will take years, um, but uh, there are prototypes that are being tested and, uh, and it looks really promising. Excellent. That and the Dorito printer, I'm I'm excited about <laughs> both 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 of those. I hope I live to see huge step forwards, steps forward. Well, Ian, um, thank you so much uh, for coming on and chatting with us a little bit. Before we let you go, though, uh, where can people find uh, I can resources and uh, technology for living? I uh, serve so two websites: I can resource.ca and technologyforliving.org. All right. Thanks, Ian. Good talking Bye, to you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. No, I do think the printer that um, comes out with the, the Dorito, I think, I feel like there's probably a Dorito printer race going on right now. I I somehow doubt it because uh, yeah. Doritos are, in fact, one of the closest foods you can get to 3D printed foods to begin with. <laughs> they're like yeah. they're like Pringles, right? You know, that's true. Pringles takes the worst potatoes available. They turn them into a mash. They extrude them as a sludge. They bake them into a nice little crisp. Mm, Pringles. I know, right? And <laughs> and you're and you're chowing down on some of the most expensive crappy chips ever made. They do bug me mm. out how uniform they are. And the only thing that bugs me about Pringles is they put them in that can that you in can't tube it into yeah, the tube thing. I but it was why? perfect for tennis balls. Yeah, you exactly. could always reuse the can. 
<laughs> then you gotta you gotta try to get the ones at the bottom, and you get your hands stuck. You tip and, the can. Uh, but then you get no, you don't because you know what happens then all the crumbs fall out, and you eat the crumbs. Blood. No, but it falls on the blood. Listen. <laughs> Don't defend the tube. Ian's I'm very defending the tube. About how he eats his cat. <laughs> I guess. Anyways, once again, we've we've completely derailed into uh, talking. You guys, you know, speaking of which, you guys missed uh, a really good food episode actually last week. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we had uh, we had Rianne Lapere and uh, uh, some of her folks um, on talking about a new Jamie Oliver cookbook that uh, was released simultaneously in Braille format alongside of all the regular other formats. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's... ATBanter.com. I'm having this visual of like trying to stir with one hand and read with the other and, you know... <laughs> they have an audiobook format too. Okay, good. There we go. <laughs> no, this, it's a really cool cook. It's called Five Ingredients Mediterranean, and uh, all the recipes, all just five ingredients. That's it. That's all you need. So it's pretty cool. Um, if, I'm, I'm Irish. We do most of ours with two. Yes, two <laughs> ingredients. Yeah, whiskey and potatoes. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Like one can of ravioli count as one ingredient. Mm, yes, yeah. technically it is yeah. a coherent object, yes. Okay. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's steps. It's all about steps. So if you're just putting the ravioli into a pot, then that's a one step. One Rob, step, have, one ingredient. Have you ever had my deep fried ravioli? No. Okay, Christmas. Christmas. Yes. Oh, Christmas yeah. party. Yes, yeah, okay, okay. Oh, I'm, now I'm really excited. Although I, I guess somebody else is on, on tequila duty. You know what's <laughs> Do you, do you guys like lobster ravioli? No. No. Or you any know, kind of pizza ravioli? Anyway. It, it's rare to get a lobster ravioli where the lobster flavor comes through well. Well, my point is, is that you can use any kind of ravioli, but you throw it in the air fryer mm -hmm. and it's magic. Ooh. You can eat them with your hand and just dip them in sauce or whatever. And well, That's ooh. what I do with my deep fried ravioli too. Yours is just the more fattening mm. version, right? Oh, exactly. Which is which makes it better, probably for sure. So, well, yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, you know, Christmas calories. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we should maybe we should have a spinoff podcast where we just talk about food. We could, or, or, I, and I had this thought actually coming home. Uh, maybe we do need an AT Venture cookbook. Maybe that's our yeah. Maybe that's our merch. Although I don't know what recipe I would submit. My uh, my brother-in-law took on the task uh, a number of years ago of putting together a family cookbook of all the favorite recipes of our families, and they're all mm. combined into a single cookbook. Um, and uh, yeah, some of that stuff is pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, there you go. Maybe we'll just rip off him. And just, just <laughs> yeah, here the we go. Just, label just, on it. Just sell it as our own. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> uh -huh. I'll the be voted market. off. I'll be voted off the island. <laughs> no one where every every recipe has to include like Doritos. Oh, well, I'm just thinking yeah. if you took Doritos or even Pringles, <laughs> you could make like a chip ravioli sandwich. Put the little ravioli pocket between the chips. Sure. And come up with multiple flavors of sure. bite size delicacies. Did, did Whatever. 
Did I ever tell you my story about going to the Irish pub in uh, Rome? No. Okay, so we're we're in Rome. We've got the kids with us. They're little, and uh, we're 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 wandering around uh, near uh, uh, what's the name of the place? Is the Hippodrome the 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 place where they used to do the the races? Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so so we're we're casting about for something to eat. Kids are getting cranky. It's hot, and uh, we we see Irish pub. It's like we've just come from Ireland. We think, okay, yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's go to an Irish pub. So we go into the Irish pub, and they had nachos on the on the menu in this Irish pub, and we thought, hey, good Irish food. Let's get nachos. So uh, we ordered the nachos. The nachos came. They were nacho Doritos. <laughs> with cheese and meat nice. and stuff on top of them they were delicious i'd do it absolutely i yep. i 100 percent recommend <laughs> making nachos with nacho doritos oh, yeah. <laughs> all right and so salty mm. but nachos have to be salty no but yeah. that's a lot of salt <laughs> oh it is oh it totally oh. totally is a lot of salt oh, and, and and delicious <laughs> i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try that Incidentally, that inspired me that there with the cookbook. So we so we'll submit uh, a recipe, and then each other will will critique each other's recipes. So like for that one, you know, we'll have Liz, you know, her drop quote be, "This is fucking gross." <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, anyways. I have to say, you know, listening to some of his experiences traveling, I'm surprised he's still an avid traveler because after that, <laughs> after pretty be put on a baggage claim for like four hours and then giving your wheelchair come to you in pieces. He has an think, amazing attitude for sure. Yes. Yeah. He's so charming too. I love when we have these charming guests. I just sit there and listen. I said, oh, look, he said, oh, he's so positive and he's got such great insight. And yeah, it, it reminds me of my god i'm so cranky and mean but oh my god it's so just delightful <laughs> <laughs> almost makes you want to be a better person huh well, almost but not quite but i know right yeah yeah i've given that up <laughs> well it's it's kind of true you know when you when you when i first we were first listening to him talk about travel i was like okay well yeah he obviously hasn't had any of these nightmare um scenarios happen to him like like we've been hearing in the media but yeah clearly he does yet he still has this positive attitude and it didn't you know do anything it only made him get more interested in travel and uh, want to help other people so very very cool wait uh, wait so i want to hear the hall and out thing what's your update oh hall and outs okay well so oh, yeah, yeah the <laughs> restraining order yeah, it's a restraining order which i talked about last week because i don't know i just had this image of him showing up at daryl hall's you know house at like two in the morning with his guitar being like Daryl <laughs> but apparently the restraining order is all about selling rights it's all about music rights That's what and I figured yeah. all of all of that sort of business music business nonsense but so Oates wants to sell his shoes sure which you granted like let the dude sell his stuff like what's what's you know he was always kind of just kind of there like, I don't know. I don't know what he actually contributed musically, but. Well, and that's going to be the deciding factor, right? Who wrote what is I'm what sure it's going to come down to. Who I got think the that's credits. probably what. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they've been fighting yeah. with or fighting over for like whatever, 25 yeah. years. Well, I'm sure they already have whatever shares each of them 
own in in, in the catalog. Yeah, no, I guess it'd be not. interesting to know who's getting the, like who gets what royalties if there's an equal share or. Well, I don't. I don't think Oaks that's not. I don't about. think that the, the fight isn't over who has what shares. It's whether or not um, Oates can sell his shares to right. someone else and just that's walk right. and take that check. So and maybe then it, like the publishing rights, like Fleetwood Mac and exactly. others have done recently. So, yeah. Yeah. So then it could be you know, Daryl Hall might be like, oh my god, now I have to share share my stuff with Elon Musk because you know Elon Musk went <laughs> out <after laughs> Well, I'll keep it simple. Why doesn't Daryl just buy John's share? He might Apparently, not have the money to do it. He doesn't have the money. <laughs> just really well, unfunny. Yeah, that's unfortunate, Daryl. <laughs> he, he might have first right of refusal or something, but he, if he can't yeah. pony up the cash, then it could you know. be like that. It could be like I'm Daryl. This is my other brother, or Daryl. Guess he's not making enough off his YouTube channel. I, you um, know what? Yeah. I think they need to ask for more money from the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what you do. How great would that be if Elon Musk bought the rights? I think Toronto Maple Leafs should buy buy out uh, Oats, and then they can do even more more crappy stuff with your songs. Yeah, there you go. They could just rotate every you know every every game, every home game is a different Hall and yeah. song. Yeah. All right. One of these weeks, we're doing a Hall and Oats tribute show. I think we should. I, I think we need to reach out to the Toronto Maple Leafs and ask them, like, what do you guys think about this skirmish between Hall and Oates? I mean, you know, which 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 side are they on? They're 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 probably they're probably just standing there going, I can't go for that. <laughs> you I'm guys sure are out of touch. Uh, <laughs> Don't be a man eater. Okay, can they just tell you now? I seriously want to make the phone call to their press office and ask them. Do it. Do I'm it. I think I'm Do it and record it. Yes. We'll play I, it on AT Banter. I can't record it without telling them I'm recording because then I'll get in trouble for international wiretapping. Nobody listen Lord. to this show. It'll be fine. <laughs> Sit. Yeah, exactly. Record it. Delete it. <laughs> or do it from it's Canada. Hard. There's no laws in Canada against that, is there? Ouch. <laughs> if you record it, send the recording, then delete it. Then it's a whole extradition thing, and, <laughs> and we're terrible at extradition. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyways, do it. Um, <laughs> where are we? Okay, we got to get out of here. Yeah, we yes. talked about Daryl and Janos way too much. Um, all right. Uh, hey, Liz. Um, hi, Rob. Hey. Fancy meeting you here. Uh, where can uh, people find us? Um, I'm thinking they could find us at atbanter.com. You are correct. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. You have been practicing, I can tell. What? <laughs> He's, he's whiffed it a couple times. Uh, <laughs> he's called it. So. Yeah, he's he's a hundred percent on cowbell this episode. <laughs> well, I gave him. I telegraphed the whole thing to him. I was trying to. I was trying to do him a solid. That's right. Yep. G- gave me a few seconds to find it. Well yep. done. Uh, what else? Where else can people find us? They Facebook. Can't. No, they can't. Yes, they, they can. can. Nobody's. AT Banter's on Facebook. Facebook. I actually, can't ask text on Facebook. I thought you were going to delete that. I was, but then I sort of waffled and I don't know. 
fine. It's fine. It is fine. Any messages? Not hurting anybody. Not hurting anybody. Nobody's nobody's talking. There's no messages here. (laughs) None whatsoever. (laughs) Nobody cares about Facebook anymore. Because we don't do squat with Facebook. It's not because we don't do squat with Facebook. Nobody's doing squat. It's because Facebook was your parents' social media platform. Yeah. And it's kind of but we wouldn't do anything with Instagram or TikTok either. So, oh, That's you true. watch. Wait until we load you up in that hula hoop. <laughs> We've been saying that for years. Well, we just have to get the tutu in your size and the chaps. We forgot. And the chaps. We forgot the chaps. Right. There's a song oh, okay. in there somewhere, isn't there? Tutus and, and assholes chaps. Yeah. 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 And hula hoops. <laughs> That is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Ian for joining us, and we will see everybody next week. And I whiffed. (laughs) This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.